Chapter Nineteen of A Small Boy and Others. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by M. B. A Small Boy and Others by Henry James. Chapter Nineteen. I try at least to recover here, however, some closer notation of W. J.'s aspects, yet only with the odd effect of my either quite losing him or but apprehending him again at seated play with his pencil under the lamp. When I see him he is intently, though summarily, rapidly drawing, his head critically balanced and his eyebrows working, and when I don't see him it is because I have resignedly relinquished him. I can't have been often for him a deprecated, still less an actively rebuffed suitor, because, as I say again, such aggressions were so little in order for me. But I remember that on my once offering him my company in conditions, those of some planned excursion, in which it wasn't desired, his putting the question of our difference at rest, with the minimum of explanation, by the responsible remark, I play with boys who curse and swear. I had sadly to recognize that I didn't, that I couldn't pretend to have come to that yet, and truly as I look back, either the unadvisedness and inexpertness of my young contemporaries on all that ground must have been complete, an interesting note on our general manners after all, or my personal failure to grasp must have been. Besides which I wonder scarce less now than I wondered then in just what company my brother's privilege was exercised. Though if he had but richly wished to be discouraging, he quite succeeded. It wasn't that I mightn't have been drawn to the boys in question, but that I simply wasn't qualified. All boys, I rather found, were difficult to play with, unless it was that they rather found me. But who would have been so difficult as these? They account but little, moreover, I make out, for W. J.'s ellipses, so that I take refuge easily enough in the memory of my own pursuits, absorbing enough at times to have excluded other views. I also plied the pencil, or to be more exact, the pen, even if neither implement critically, rapidly, or summarily. I was so often engaged at that period, it strikes me, in literary, or to be more precise, in dramatic, accompanied by pictorial composition that I must again and again have delightfully lost myself. I had not on any occasion personally succeeded amid our theatric strife in reaching the footlights, but how could I have doubted nevertheless with our large theatrical experience of the nature and of my understanding of the dramatic form? I sacrificed to it with devotion, by the aid of certain quarto sheets of ruled paper bought in Sixth Avenue for the purpose, my father's store, though I held him to be a great fancier of the article in general, supplied but the unruled. Grateful in particular for the happy provision by which each fourth page of the folded sheet was left blank. When the drama itself had covered three pages, the last one, over which I most laboured, served for the illustration of what I had verbally presented. 
Each scene had thus its explanatory picture, and as each act, though I am not positively certain I arrived at acts, would have had its vivid climax. Addicted in that degree to fictive evocation, I yet recall, on my part, no practice whatever of narrative prose or any sort of verse. I cherished the scene, as I had so vibrated to the idea of it that evening at Linwood. I thought, I lisped, at any rate I composed in scenes, though how much or how far the scenes came is another affair. Entrances, exits, the indication of business, the animation of dialogue, the multiplication of designated characters, were things delightful in themselves, while I panted toward the canvas on which I should fling my figures, which it took me longer to fill than it had taken me to write what went with it, but which had on the other hand something of the interest of the dramatist's casting of his personae and must have helped me to believe in the validity of my subject. From where on these occasions the subject can have dropped for me I am at a loss to say, and indeed have a strong impression that I didn't at any moment quite know what I was writing about. I am sure I couldn't otherwise have written so much. With scenes, when I think, what certitude did I want more, scenes being the root of the matter, especially when they bristled with proper names and noted movements, especially above all when they flowered at every pretext into the very optic and perspective of the stage, where the boards diverged correctly from a central point of vision, even as the lashes from an eyelid straight down to the footlights. Let this reminiscence remind us of how rarely in those days the real stage was carpeted, the difficulty of composition was not. The one difficulty was in so placing my figures on the fourth page that these radiations could be marked without making lines through them. The odd part of all of which was that, whereas my cultivation of the picture was maintained, my practice of the play, my addition to scenes, presently quite dropped. I was capable of learning though with inordinate slowness, to express ideas in scenes, and was not capable, with whatever patience, of making proper pictures. Yet I aspired to this form of design, to the prejudice of any other, and long after those primitive hours was still wasting time in attempts at it. I cared so much for nothing else, and that vaguely redressed, as to a point, my general failure of acuteness. I nursed the conviction, or at least I tried to, that if my clutch of the pencil or of the watercolour brush should once become intense enough, it would make up for other weaknesses of grasp, much as that would certainly give it to do. This was a very false scent, which had, however, the excuse that my brother's example really couldn't but act upon me. The scent was apparently so true for him. From the moment my small interest in art, that is my bent for gaping at illustrations and exhibitions, was absorbing and genuine. There were elements in the case which made it natural. The picture, the representative design, directly and strongly appealed to me, 
and was to appeal all my days, and I was only slow to recognize the kind in this order that appealed most. My face was turned from the first to the idea of representation, that of the gain of charm, interest, mystery, dignity, distinction, gain of importance in fine, on the part of the represented thing, over the thing of accident, of mere actuality, still unappropriated. But in the house of representation there were many chambers, each with its own lock, and long was to be the business of sorting and trying the keys. When I at last found, deep in my pocket, the one I could more or less work, it was to feel, with reassurance, that the picture was still, after all, in essence, one's aim. So there had been, in a manner, continuity, been not so much waste as one had sometimes ruefully figured. So many wastes are sweetened for memory as by the taste of the economy they have led to or imposed, and from the vantage of which they could scarce look better if they had been current and blatant profit. Wasn't the very bareness of the field itself, moreover, a challenge, in a degree, to design? Not, I mean, that there seemed to one's infant eyes too few things to paint. As to that, there were always plenty. But for the very reason that there were more than any one noticed, and that a hunger was thus engendered, which one cast about to gratify. The gratification nearest home was the imitative, the emulative, that is, on my part. W.J., I see, needed no reasons, no consciousness other than that of being easily able. So he drew because he could, while I did so in the main only because he did though I think we cast about, as I say, alike, making the most of every image within view. I doubt if he made more than I even then did, though earlier able to account for what he made. Afterwards, on other ground and in richer air, I admit, the challenge was in the fullness and not in the bareness of aspects, with their natural result of hunger appeased. Exhibitions, illustrations, abounded in Paris and London. The reflected image hung everywhere about, so that if there we daubed afresh and with more confidence, it was not because no one, but because everyone did. In fact, when I call our appetite appeased, I speak less of our browsing vision, which was tethered and insatiable, than of our sense of the quite normal character of our own proceedings. In Europe we knew there was art, just as there were soldiers and lodgings and concierges and little boys in the streets who stared at us, especially at our hats and boots, as at things of derision, just as, to put it negatively, there were practically no hot rolls and no iced water. Perhaps, too, I should add, we didn't enjoy the works of Mr. Benjamin Hayden, there clustered at the Pantheon in Oxford Street, which in due course became our favourite haunt, so infinitely more, after all, than we had enjoyed those arrayed at the Dusseldorf collection in Broadway, whence the huge canvas of the martyrdom of John Huss 
comes back to me, in fact, as a revelation of representational brightness and charm, that pitched once for all in these matters my young sense of what should be. Ineffable, unsurpassable these hours of initiation which the Broadway of the fifties had been, when all was said, so adequate to supply. If one wanted pictures, there were pictures, as large, I seem to remember, as the side of a house, and of a bravery of colour and lustre of surface that I was never afterwards to see surpassed. We were shown, without doubt, under our genial law here too, everything that was, and as I cast up the items I wonder, I confess, what ampler fare we could have dealt with. The Dusseldorf school commanded the market, and I think of its exhibition as firmly seated, going on from year to year. New York, judging now to such another tune, must have been a brave patron of that manufacture. I believe that scandal even was on occasion not abated, rather was boldly invoked, though of what particular sacrifices to the pure plastic or undraped shocks to bourgeois prejudice the comfortable German genius of that period, must have been capable. History has kept no record. New accessions, at any rate, vividly new ones, in which the freshness and brightness of the paint, particularly lustrous in our copious light, enhanced from time to time the show, which I have the sense of our thus repeatedly and earnestly visiting, and which comes back to me with some vagueness, as installed in a disaffected church, where gothic excrescences and an ecclesiastical roof of a mild order helped the importance. No impression here, however, was half so momentous as that of the epoch-making masterpiece of Mr. Leutze, who showed us Washington crossing the Delaware in a wondrous flare of projected gaslight, and with the effect of a revelation to my young sight of the capacity of accessories to stand out. I live again in the thrill of that evening, which was the greater, of course, for my feeling it in my parents' company, when I should otherwise have been in bed. We went down, after dinner, in the 14th Street stage, quite as if going to the theatre. The scene of exhibition was near the Stuyvesant Institute, a circumstance stirring up somehow a swarm of associations, echoes probably of lectures discussed at home, yet at which my attendance had doubtless conveniently lapsed. But Mr. Leutze's drama left behind any paler proscenium. We gaped responsive to every item, lost in the marvel of the wintry night, of the sharpness of the ice-blocks, of the sickness of the sick soldier, of the protrusion of the minor objects, that of the strands of the rope and the nails of the boots, that, I say, on the part of everything, of its determined purpose of standing out, but that, above all, of the profiled national hero's purpose, as might be said, of standing up as much as possible, even indeed of doing it almost on one leg in such difficulties and successfully balancing. So memorable was that evening to remain for me that nothing could be more strange in connection with it than the illustration by the admired work on its in after years again coming before me 
of the cold cruelty with which time may turn and devour its children the picture more or less entombed in its relegation was lividly dead and that was bad enough but half the substance of one's youth seemed buried with it there were other pictorial evenings i may add not all of which had the thrill deep the disappointment on my own part i remember at bryan's gallery of christian art to which also as for great emotions we had taken the omnibus after dinner it cast a chill this collection of worm-eaten diptychs and triptychs of angular saints and seraphs of black madonnas and obscure bambinos of such marked and approved primitives as had never yet been shipped to our shores mr bryan's shipment was presently to fall i believe under grave suspicion was to undergo in fact fatal exposure but it seemed at the moment in apparent good faith and i have not forgotten how conscious that it was fresh from europe fresh was beautiful in the connection i felt that my yearning should all have gone out to it with that inconsequence to handle i doubt whether i proclaimed that it bored me any more than i have ever noted till now that it made me begin badly with christian art i like to think that the collection consisted without abatements of frauds and fakes and that if these had been honest things my perception wouldn't so have slumbered yet the principle of interest had been somehow compromised and i think i have never since stood before a real primitive a primitive of the primitives without having first to shake off the grey mantle of that night the main disconcertment had been its ugly twist to the name of italy already sweet to me for all its dimness even could dimness have prevailed in my felt measure of the pictorial testimony of home testimony that dropped from us from the ample canvas of mr cole the american turner which covered half a side of our front parlour and in which though not an object represented in it began to stand out after the manner of mr leutze i could always lose myself as soon as look it depicted florence from one side of the neighbouring hills i have often since wondered which the picture being long ago lost to our sight florence with her domes and towers and old walls the old walls mr cole had engaged for but which i was ruefully to miss on coming to know and love the place in after years then it was i felt how long before my attachment had started on its course that closer vision was no beginning it only took up the tale just as it comes to me again to-day at the end of time that the contemplative monk seated on a terrace in the foreground a constant friend of my childhood must have been of the convent of san miniato which gives me the sight from which the painter wrought we had italy again in the corresponding room behind a great abundance of italy i was free to think while i revolved between another landscape over the sofa and the classic marble bust on a pedestal between the two back windows the figure a part of the figure of a lady with her head crowned with vine leaves and her hair disposed with a laxity that was emulated by the front of her dress 
as my next younger brother exposed himself to my derision by calling the bit of brocade simulated by the chisel that depending from a single shoulder-strap so imperfectly covered her this image was known and admired among us as the bacanti she had come to us straight from an american studio in rome and i see my horizon flush again with the first faint dawn of conscious appreciation or in other words of the critical spirit while two or three of the more restrictive friends of the house find our marble lady very cold for a bacanti cold indeed she must have been quite as of the tombstone temperament but that objection would drop if she might only be called a nymph since nymphs were mild and moderate and since discussion of a work of art mainly hung in those days on that issue of the producible name i fondly recall by the same token that playing on a certain occasion over the landscape above the sofa restrictive criticism uttered in my indulged hearing introduced me to what had probably been my very first chance on such ground for active participation the picture from the hand of a french painter monsieur lefebvre and of but slightly scanter extent than the work of mr cole represented in frank rich colours and as a so-called view in tuscany a rural scene of some exuberance a broken and precipitous place amid mountains and forests where two or three bare-legged peasants or woodmen were engaged with much emphasis of posture in felling a badly gashed but spreading oak by means of a tense rope attached to an upper limb and at which they pulled together tuscany are you sure it's tuscany said the voice of restrictive criticism that of the friend of the house who in the golden age of the precursors though we were still pretty much precursors had lived longest in italy and then on my father's challenge of this demure oh in tuscany you know the colours are much softer there would be a certain haze to the atmosphere why of course i can hear myself now blushingly but triumphantly intermingle the softness and the haze of our florence there isn't florence in tuscany it had to be parentally admitted that florence was besides which our friend had been there and knew so that thereafter within our walls a certain malaise reigned for if the florence wasn't like it then the lefebvre couldn't be and if the lefebvre was like it then the florence couldn't a lapse from old convenience as from the moment we couldn't name the lefebvre where were we all of which it might have been open to me to feel i had uncannily promoted End of chapter 19